Let's praise God this morning for that. Thank you, Jesus, that we have the opportunity to fly away because you came and lived and died and rose again on our behalf. God, we give you all the praise this morning. We look forward to what you're going to say to us. Pray it all in your name. Amen. Guys, you can be seated as you are seated. I'm going to send our K through fifth graders out these side doors for the last time for the next eight weeks because we are going to be taking an opportunity to worship together as families during the summer. We're going to take an opportunity to give our youth workers, children's workers a break. And on top of all of that, we're going to take some time to be able to train and refresh and restore and renew and all the reasons why we do what we do. As a matter of fact, Bruce is going to be leading some training events. Pastor Bruce is going to be leading three different training events throughout the summer. Each are going to be identical, so you only have to choose one. But if you're interested in being a part of the children's ministry or even in the youth ministry, find out why we do what we do and how you can be a part of that. Something else I forgot to mention up front, and that is this. We had that clothing drive, and many of you brought clothes, bags of clothes in. And um, our goal was just to get your closets clean. That's pretty much what it was, right? But I can't imagine how much stuff you guys must have had because our original thought was maybe we'd have 2,500 pounds of clothes. We brought in 2,500 pounds of clothes to Savers. They would give us $500. You guys brought in one pound shy of 3,100 pounds. We were 30.99. So you guys have a lot of stuff in your closet and a lot more room now because you brought it all in. So we're thankful for that. So if I'm doing my math correctly, that's about $600 going towards fundraising for our youth camps and our children's camps that are coming up this summer. So thank you so much for doing that and being a part of that. And we are looking forward to seeing God do more things, that we can have more things like baptisms, more salvations, all of that, all because you decided to give. So thank you for that. Let me tell you this. We've made it to week 20 of Revelation. We have made it to the last week. It was supposed to be a seven-week series, turned into a 10-week series, which then became a 20-week series. And if you know anything about me, I have ADD in some sort of way, shape, or form, and I cannot focus on anything for a very long time. So the fact that we made it to week 20, it's all by the grace of God. I'm going to tell you that right now because I'm excited to be finishing up Revelation. I'm also excited about starting some new things. Let me tell you, we started back on January 9th. It's hard to even think about that because the kids were just beginning their second semester. This week, they're ending that second semester. So we took the entire second semester talking about Revelation, and we're wrapping it up today. So what I would love for you to do is if you have your Bibles with you, go to the last book of the Bible and the last chapter of that book, Revelation chapter 22. We're going to be starting in verse 6 and reading through verse 20. If you are able, I would love for you to stand as I read it. If you're not, that's perfectly okay, but follow along. It'll be on the screens. If you don't have your Bible to your digital devices with you, here is what it says. The last verses as we read it together. Then he said to me, these words are faithful and true. All that we've read. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. Look, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, the one who heard and saw these things, when I heard them and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of an angel who had shown them to me. But he said to me, don't do that. I'm a fellow servant with you, your brothers, the prophets, and those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. 
Then he said to me, don't seal up the words of the prophecy of this book because the time is near. Let the unrighteous go on in unrighteousness. Let the filthy still be filthy. Let the righteous go on in righteousness. Let the holy still be holy. Look, I am coming soon and my reward is with me to repay each person according to his work. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter the city by the gates. Outside of the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to attest these things to you for the churches. I am the root, the descendant of David, the bright morning star, both the spirit and the bride say, come. Let anyone who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life freely. I testify to everyone who hears these words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of this book, of this prophecy, God will take away his share of the tree of life in the holy city, which are written about in this book. He who testifies about these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Love these next four words. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with everyone. Amen. Father God, thanks for your word. Thanks for preserving it so that we, we could read it and not just read it, but learn it and apply it. Help us to apply it to our lives today. We pray it in your name. Amen. You can be seated. I told you already up front, I'm excited about being done with this book, but it's a bittersweet being done for me. It's kind of like how we celebrated the graduates last week and our fifth graders this week. It's the end of a chapter. It's the end of a chapter in, in the, the lives of the people at Paragon. And literally, it's the end of a book sermon and a sermon series that has challenged me to my core. As I started a plan to go through Revelation 20 plus weeks ago, I didn't expect it to challenge me as much as it did. As a matter of fact, um, it also encouraged me more than I thought it would. Because when you talk about the word revelation, generally the word encouragement does not go hand in hand with it. But it encouraged me greatly, more than I thought. And the great thing is, I've heard lots of you say the same thing. Man, this has been just an encouraging time in Revelation, and I love that. And I love seeing the results of life change. I truly believe what God is doing in our church is an amazing thing, and we're seeing it take place right here in the baptismal tank. We're seeing it take place as people are taking those next steps and serving. We're seeing it take place in so many different ways. I truly believe I'm going to miss this chapter of Paragon. I'm going to miss, really, this book on one hand. But I said it's bittersweet because on the other hand, I'm ready to start something new. I'm ready to dive into the Beatitudes this summer. You heard even as we read those last, what, 14, 15 verses, the word blessed are those who. That's what we're going to dive into all summer. The ones who are blessed, who live that upside down life. And honestly, I'm kind of excited to be done preaching this book because Revelation comes with division a lot of times. So to walk that line and prepare a sermon every week that's not going to divide our church it's been a challenge. A good challenge, but it's been a challenge and sometimes even wearing. So moving on to something that's less debated, it's good. So I'm excited about that. But even as we move on, I have to say this. You're watching online. You probably already saw this. But the title to this message is, The End is Just the Beginning. 
The end is just the beginning. And actually, I just kind of stole that title from uh, Thousand Foot Crutch. If you grew up uh, listening to hard Christian rock music like I did, Thousand Foot Crutch had an album called The End is Where We Begin. The end of ourselves is where we begin. The end of us is the beginning. The end of this book, the last book of the Bible, really truly is just the beginning of the story as we will see it unfold throughout eternity. And I'm excited about that. I think about C.S. Lewis and the Chronicles of Narnia. Maybe some of you guys have read that seven book series. Maybe you watched a couple of the movies that Disney decided to put out and then they realized it was too much like Jesus. So they're like, hey, pull that back. Um, instead, what you see is you see this seven book series lay out in the very last book is called The Last Battle. And that very last book, the very last paragraph of that book, it says this. It says the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they were beginning the chapter one of the great story which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. You know anything about the Chronicles of Narnia? It does mirror the gospel message. It does parallel the gospel story, and even up to this very last chapter. And just like that book ends, the book of Revelation ends where it's only the beginning of the story, of where every chapter will be better than the one that was before. I hope that you're excited about that. I hope that's what gives you hope. Something I've picked up along these last 20 weeks really has been this. I've said it to you many times. This book was not written for us to speculate over. It wasn't written for us to jump to conclusions about. And it was most certainly not written for us to divide over. That was not why Revelation was written. The book of Revelation was written to give us hope. And that hope was to drive us to wanting more. One of the things my wife accuses me of oftentimes is you always want more. It doesn't matter what it is. I always want more. It's never good enough. Just that thing. I need to have the next big thing. I think that's what the book of Revelation is driving us to. Always wanting more. More of Jesus. More of God. And to live in obedience to him as these next chapters unfold. It's an exciting book to really get into. Remember, We've had a great benefit of having this in our Bibles. If you have a phone, you have it with you all the time probably. You have the Bible app on there. You have the book of Revelation. But even as we look at that, as we get to see that we have the benefit of having it, it wasn't first written to us. It was first written to the first century church. And even though we get the experience of knowing it, we get the experience of truly experiencing the truth of Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12. Maybe you've heard this verse before. It says, For the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of every heart. The book of Revelation falls into that. It is alive and active even today. But even though it's changing our lives today, its original audience, that first century church, they were ones who were struggling with their faith. They, they were ones who were facing temptations and, and saying, don't bow down to the things of this world. And they're walking through persecution that most of us could never even imagine. So as we look at the book, we have to keep that in mind. 
We have to keep that in mind, that they weren't going to sit down after hearing it. It's not like they all had a copy, a scroll. John wrote each one of them, one passed it out. That, that wasn't the way it worked. They heard it, and they weren't going to sit down and speculate about what it was going to look like 2,000 years from that point. What they were going to do is they were going to be encouraged to live for Christ on that day. And we're going to look at it today as we wrap up to be encouraged to live for Christ today. As a matter of fact, I read in one of the commentaries these words. It said, anytime the Bible talks about the future or the end of the world, the purpose is not to promote speculation among God's people, but the fuel of obedience in God's people. It's our fuel to, to draw us to want more, to want to obey more. That's what it's about, to fuel obedience in God's people. It's not about fighting about when he's coming back but it's about having hope that he is coming back that jesus is who he says he is and he's going to do what he says he's going to do we see it throughout scripture when it's talking about the end times the first one that really popped into my mind was second peter chapter three similar and it falls into what he that that commentary said about revelation and and there's there to fuel obedience Second Peter chapter 3, Peter's dealing with the same things that we even still deal with today. The question of when is he coming back? Is he really going to come back? What does that look like? How does this all play itself out? Well, if you have your Bibles, I would love to go through the chapter of Second Peter chapter 3 real quick. So you just got to flip back over a couple of pages from Le Revelation there. And, or if you're on your phone app, really easy, just hit the one that says Second Peter. Chapter 3, we're going to look through the whole chapter just for the context of what it says here. It says, Dear Friends, in verse 1 of chapter 3 this is now the second letter I've written to you in both letters I want to stir up your sincere understanding by way of reminder so that you'll recall the words of previously spoken by the holy prophets and the command of our Lord Jesus and Savior given through your apostles above all be aware of this scoffers will come in the last days scoffing and following their own evil desire saying where is his coming that he promised Ever since our ancestors fell asleep, all things continue as they have been since the beginning of creation. They deliberately overlook this. By the word of God, the heavens came into being long ago, and the earth was brought about from the water and through the water. Through these, the world of the time has perished when it was flooded. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are stored up for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Now, he's asking and answering the questions here. He's starting to lay this out. He's dealing with the same questions we deal with today. Well, when is the second coming? When's he going to be? Will it really happen? If it does, why is he taking so long? Where is he? And he answers with this in verse 8. Dear friends, don't overlook this one fact. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. By the way, that'd be a great passage to just really tear apart. The Lord does not delay in his promise, as some understand delay. But he's patient with you. By the way, that's awesome not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and on that day the heavens will pass away with a loud noise, and the elements will burn and be dissolved, and the earth and the works on it will be disclosed. Peter says, hey, he's coming back, and here's what I gotta say about it. Here's my little sermonette for you. Here's my little exposition. Here's my little exhortation. It says this, verse 11, since all these things are to be dissolved in this way, it is clear what sort of people you should be in holy conduct and godliness as you wait for the day of god and hasten its coming because of that day the heavens will be dissolved with fire and the elements will melt with heat but based on his promise we will wait for new heavens and new earth where righteousness 
dwells. So what sort of people does that passage say that we should be? Ones who fight over the book of Revelation or ones who are growing in godliness and growing in holiness? As a matter of fact, verse 14 says, Therefore, dear friends, while you wait for these things, all the promises that Jesus made, make every effort to be found without spot or blemish in his sight. Be at peace. Then jump down to verse 17. It says, Therefore, dear friends, since you know this in advance, be on your guard so that you are not led away by the error of lawless people and fall from your own stable position, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ and Savior. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. I want you to see this chapter. I want you to see it the same way we look at Revelation. When the Bible says that Jesus is coming back, our job is not to try and figure out when. Our job is to be ready. Our job is to be ready to live in holiness. That means separated, to be set apart, to live godly lives, to get excited and get busy, to steal a line from a movie that I like the TV version way better than the regular version, Shawshank Redemption, get busy living or get busy dying. Get busy living or get busy dying. As a matter of fact, you could take both of those. Get busy living for God and get busy dying to yourself. It's time for us to get busy. And I'm going to add this. If the purpose of Revelation was to tell us that Jesus is coming back and what things are going to look like, we wouldn't have had to read the verses we read this morning because it would have stopped at verse 5 that we stopped at last week. Because verse 5 says, and you will see him face to face. That's it. That's all we would have needed. But then he goes on for the next 14, 15 verses to explain why we need to live the way we need to live. To live faithfully with him and in him. See, there's this, but wait, there's more. You ever see those commercials? But wait, there's more. There was, there was more at the end of Revelation. And he says, this is the deal. Scripture, as Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says, has a job to do in our lives. So let's let it do it. Let's let it change us. And here's what I want to do today. As we wrap up this book, we're going to kind of do like a 19 plus chapter review. And look at what Revelation truly wants us to see and how it wants us to live. And there's four things that I want to see over these last 19 weeks. See the world, see Christ, see the church, see your life. See the world, see Christ, see the church, see your life so the first one see the world see the world one of the things that revelation has opened our eyes to in light of the 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 revelation of revelation we need to see the world for what it is and the deception that lies within it remember the church was under attack church is still under the attack the book reminds us not to bow down this revelation was don't bow down. And there were some specifics that it says don't bow down to. The first one was the beast. If you go back, we talked about the beast. And the beast is representative of the government. And it's as true today as it was in the first century. We cannot be fooled into thinking that the government is our savior. We cannot be fooled into that. Whether you're Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, Independent, or anything that falls in between all of that, the foundation that we stand and build our lives on is not the government. We build it on Jesus Christ. And Psalm 146.3 is very clear to tell us that. It says, do not trust in nobles, in a son of man, 
who cannot save. As a matter of fact, verse 4 goes on and says, when his breath leaves him, he returns to that ground, and on that day, his plans die. We follow the one who's eternal. That's where we build our foundation, on Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, we also don't bow down to the false prophet. That false prophet we described as false religion, religious systems that oppose Jesus Christ. And there's many of them out there. Many of them that twist the truth and begin to talk about the same original question that we saw way back in the book of Genesis with, did God really say? And we begin to question who God is. We begin to twist our beliefs and twist our statements and take them away from who God is. Don't bow down to that false prophet. Also can't forget about that prostitute. Babylon the Great, bowing down to things like social acceptance, to affluence, to stuff to possessions, to pride, to pleasures, to power, all of those things that might make us comfortable or feel secure. These are the things that we see as we begin to look and we bow down to far too often. The book is saying, don't do it. As a matter of fact, John, who is the one who recorded the book of Revelation, also wrote a letter in 1 John chapter 2, where he says these words, don't love anything in the world and don't love the world. He's very clear when he says that. And we have to see the world for what it is. The world is temporary and it lives in rebellion to God. So when we chase after that, we're chasing after the temporary and we're chasing after rebellious things. Is it in full assault? The world wants to pull you away from God. He wants you, or they want to, to pull you away from following after Him. So they say, You do you. Ever heard that statement before? I was just in Phoenix last week. It's like one of the casinos, big things. It was on everything as we drove around. You do you, you do you, you do you. That's not what God says. As a matter of fact, if you go in that same book, 1 John chapter 2, the very last verse of that one says, whoever does the will of God abides forever. You do God's will. We have to see the deception of this world and we have to live in the truth. Not only do we see the world, we see Christ. We see Christ in all of his glory. We see Christ in all of his glory. I hope that I've made this abundantly clear since day one of Paragon, 633 weeks ago. I don't know why I looked that up today, but I did. <laughs> 633 weeks ago when we started Paragon Church and 20 weeks ago that we started this Revelation series. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Jesus. He is the theme of this book. He's the theme of the entire book. He's the theme of our life. But if you go back to the book of Revelation, chapter 1, it starts off saying, this is a revelation of Jesus Christ. And then in verse 5 and 6, it says these words, and from Jesus, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the king of the earth, to him who loves us and has set us free from our sin by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. It's about him. Then in verse 9 of chapter 1, John, if you remember the second week that we got into this series, John lays out the description of who Jesus is, and he starts using titles like the Son of Man, which was a title of humanity. It was a title, a title of humility. It was a title of deity. These are the things that he laid out there. He is our high priest, he is infinitely wise. He knows our hearts. He knows our motives. Nothing that we can do will escape his view because he had those blazing eyes of fire. 
He is holy and he's above all things. He's strong and he's stable. He has the authority. He is a perfect savior and he's also the perfect judge. These are the things that John is laying out to us because this book is about him. Death could not hold him. The grave could not keep him. The slaughtered lamb we see standing in chapter 5. He's the lion of Judah. He's the only one that is worthy to open the scroll. He is the one that every tribe, nation, and tongue will bow down to. He is the one. He is victorious over Satan. He is faithful. He is true. He is just. He's the king of kings, and he is the Lord of lords. And he will reign forever and ever. And he's going to bring God's wrath upon the world. These are all things we see. One of the other things we see is that his grace is free and his joy is everlasting. And you can trust him as Savior, as the one who takes the sins from the world. And he took them upon himself. Why do we need to see Jesus like this? Why do we need to see the world like that? Because I truly believe when we do, it will change the way we act, it will change the way we live, and it will change what we actually live for. The next thing was see the church. See the church for who she is to Christ. See the church for how Jesus sees the church. Part of the reason why this is only going to be a seven-week series, we're just going to focus on the seven churches that are found in chapter 2 and chapter 3. And I had to expand a little bit more than that to give you a little bit more context, and I'll give you a lot of context. So here is what we see. We see the church laid out in these two chapters. And it's the church that we, the way we see the church. This is the way that, that, that the church operates even still today. You had the church at Ephesus. They had great doctrine, but they forgot their first love. You had the church at Smyrna. They fished, faced tribulation, and they faced poverty. You had the church at Pergamum. And they put up with teachings that went against the grain of, of hope, that, that went against the gospel. At Thyatira, they loved sensuality of Jezebel, and they loved sexual morality. At Sardis, they were just plain flat dead. You had Philadelphia with little power, but still they clung on to Jesus. And then you had Laodicea, that lukewarm church that we hear often about. It was indifferent towards the things of God. They considered themselves rich and prosperous, but Jesus said, you are blind, poor, pitiful, and naked. That is the way that we have a tendency to see the church. That's the way that we kind of relate as a church sometimes, isn't it? We can see ourselves in each and every one of those when we see it around. But here's the thing, that even in all of that, Jesus saw the church as worth dying for. Jesus saw the church as worth dying for. As a matter of fact, Revelation tells us the groom, full of grace and mercy, gives his life for the church. That is a huge deal for us to see. He is cleansing his bride for his wedding day. He's preparing them. And that day is described as we read the book of Revelation. He loves his church. So, what does that tell us? We need to see the church and respond to the church in the same way. He gave his life. What do we give to his ministry and his church? Finally, the last one is see your life. As we look at Revelation, as we see the world, as we see Christ, we see the church. If you were really looking, if this last 20 weeks, or even if this is the first time you've been here, and, and it's just the first time you're hearing this, as you hear this, if you were really looking, it should put your life into perspective. It should put your life into proper perspective because as we see ourselves as God sees us, it's going to drive us to two words that we've talked about repeatedly throughout this 20 weeks. That is repent and obey. 
Repent and obey. To turn means to repent, the 180, to turn away from the things I'm doing and obey, follow after Jesus. That is what this has all been about, to turn from our worldly desires and turn to Christ. The first song we sang was what? You remember? Before we got all countrified up in here and people were clapping off beat? Remember what it was? I will follow. I will follow. That is the challenge that we have to follow. See, but even as we look at it, we have to understand, we talked about this already, we are in a fight. There is a spiritual battle that is going on behind the curtain. We are in a fight against sin in our sinful nature. We are in a fight against compromise. We are in a fight against complacency. We are in a fight against bowing down to that beast, that false prophet, and to that prostitute. And as we've seen earlier in this series, the great thing is, is that although we're in a fight, we fight from victory and not for victory because Christ has already won. And that is what we need to hold on to. That is that hope that we get to live for. Christ is one. We've been given the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome. We've been given the truth of God's word and the hope in the middle of all the suffering that we go through. We are just passing through this world. That's what we talked about last week. We are in the now, and we also are citizens of the not yet. And that is exciting. You know, something I thought about this week is there's no power that's found in somebody we might consider a super Christian. One of those people that is so godly that we just never could attain it. There's no power found in a super Christian that we don't have access to as well. That you don't have access to as well. Tap into that power, the power of the Holy Spirit. If you're like, how do I do it? This cool word called discipleship. It's one of our five up here. Growing people change. We invest in each other. We grow closer to God. It's a call to repentance. This book is a call to repentance, to turn from my desires and follow Christ. We've got to lay down our idols and worship Him. It's not just a call to repentance, it's also a call to obedience. Just be obedient. Have you ever stopped and thought about who God used in the Bible? Was it like the religious elite? No. Was it the people who had all their stuff together? No, it sure wasn't. He used tax collectors. He used fishermen. He used people who couldn't speak, people who stuttered. He used all different types of people. But the one thing they all had in common is they were obedient. They were obedient. They laid down whatever it might have been. They were willing to drop their nets. They were willing to drop their tax collecting books. They were willing to drop the fill in the blank and follow him. He used basic ordinary people who were willing to obey. Guess what we are? We're basic, ordinary people. We just have to be willing to obey. The truth of the matter is, all of us are pretty aware of what keeps us from full obedience. You know what keeps you from full obedience in your life. You know that thing. I know the thing. The question is, what are you going to do about it? Are you just going to see it, brush it off to the side, compromise be complacent do that are you going to see your life for what it is because you see the world you see christ and you see the church how are you going to respond will you lay it down you see i could preach my heart out all day every day i can do it all sunday every sunday and you can be here to hear it every sunday but that's not going to change your world and it's not going to change the world knowledge is awesome application of that knowledge is better applying the knowledge is better i have multiple kids in my house 
all of which who are getting to that age where deodorant is an important thing. And in that, I can teach them all I want to teach them about deodorant. I can show them how to use it. I can show them where it goes. I can show them how to twist the bottle to make it go up higher. But if you never apply it, that knowledge doesn't matter. That is the truth in each and every one of our lives. I can tell you everything you need to know, but if you don't apply it, it doesn't matter. What this application will be is people laying down whatever it is that keeps them from full obedience and then living out their obedience. People who take ownership of their faith and get in the game. One thing that I know for certain is Christianity is not a spectator sport. You don't get to sit on the sidelines and cheer the pastor and the staff on. Say, go get them, guys. No, we're in this together. We work together. As a matter of fact, when you look and you see verse 17, it says, both the Spirit and the bride say, come, join in. Let anyone who hears say, come, join in. Let the thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life freely. My question for you is, are you thirsty? Are you thirsty? One of my favorite non-spiritual, spiritual illustrations that comes from a movie comes from the movie Three Amigos. I know, I know you're like, I know what you're talking about because I've seen it too. But it's where they're riding through the desert and they're all just weary and so on and so forth and all three of them have their canteens. And two of them open it up and they're dumping them out and dirt is just filling their mouth. And then Chevy Chase pulls out his and he's like drinking it. It's just dripping down on the side of his face and he's kind of pouring it on top of his head and they're both just looking at him and watching him. And then he pulls out lip balm and he goes, lip balm? You know, and he puts the lid back on. Sometimes I feel like that with the church. That we have this amazing water to drink and everybody else is drinking the dirt of the world and we're like, lip balm? They don't need lip balm. They need the living water. And, and that's why that's such a great spiritual illustration. If we weren't on YouTube and having to worry about copyright stuff, I would have shown that to you in the middle of this message. But go home and Google it. Go home and YouTube it. Watch that. You'll see what I'm talking about. Because the Spirit says, Come. Come and be a part. Come and get a drink. But you know who else says come? The church. The church says come. Be a part. That is you and that is me. Come and join with us in the fight. Let's get busy living for Christ. Let's get busy dying to ourselves because in the end, it's just the beginning. And we need to be excited about that. We get to say come, Lord Jesus. <laughs> come, Lord Jesus. But until then, let's get busy. Let's pray together. Father, thanks for today. And thanks for the way you continue to work in each of our lives. Thanks for the way you continue to challenge us, to lay down those things that are keeping us from full obedience, to lay down our pride, to lay down our desire, to chase after the things of the world, to lay that stuff down so that we can live fully for you because we know those things are temporary. We know those things are not going to fulfill our thirst. We know those things are things we're just chasing after. God, Please work in our hearts, work in our minds, work in our lives. Change us to who you want us to be. So we can go and glorify you. So we can spread this kingdom. Because the end that is coming is just the beginning of eternity. Father, we give you all praise and all glory for preserving this word so that we can go through it for the last 20 weeks and be encouraged by it to live for you. We pray it in your name. Amen. I don't know where you stand with Jesus. I don't know 
where you are in your relationship with him. I don't know what you're dealing with, what struggles you might have. I'm going to give you two options, okay? One, I would love to pray with you. I'm going to be sitting over here off to the side as we sing this last song. I'd love to talk to you about who Jesus is. Maybe you're in a relationship with Jesus already, though, and you're just, that thing that's in the way of full obedience is there. The second option, if you don't want to come pray with me, is to talk to God yourself. You don't need me as a mediator. That's not how this works. Jesus came and he made that bridge open for us to be able to go to God. He tore down that curtain for you to be able to go to him and say, God, this is where I'm struggling. Point me in the right direction. Change my heart because I can't do it on my own. I'll be over here to pray with you as we sing this last song.